You're tuned into More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and you know our world has proved to continue to be very unpredictable. After two years of a pandemic, continued political division, and now a major conflict in Ukraine, our elected officials in Washington, D.C. most certainly have their hands full and have a lot on their agenda. Uh, We had the State of the Union address earlier this week as well, and our guest this morning is Congressman Tim Burchett. Congressman Burchett is the U.S. Representative for the 2nd District here in Tennessee. Of course, he's been involved in helping serve us for a long time, first with the Tennessee Legislature and then as the Knox County Mayor. Um, of course, he was a, he's a proud Bearden High School graduate, as well as the University of Tennessee. Good morning, Congressman Burchett. Great to have you with us again. Hey, Jim. It's always a pleasure being on with you, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, you know, I know there's a lot I want to cover, and uh, but before I do, first, I want to ask how things have been for you personally over the for, over the last two years. <clears throat> Well, actually, pretty good. It's um, it's always discouraging to be in Washington, as you can imagine. And um, you know, I, I, my wife and daughter and I, my wife, uh, my my daughter likes riding horses, and I like wasting money. So it's been a great combination for us. <laughs> That's what I've heard about the horse world. Yeah, it's, but it's all right. I don't I don't care. I love I love my girls and they and, and my little girl can ride those little barrel around those barrels and stuff and it's wonderful. We That's great. Yeah, we, there's nothing more joyful than seeing your kids, you know, having fun and being <laughs> being happy. I'd agree with that. Let's get down to business. The conflict yes, in sir. Ukraine is really something uh Russian troops are invading, the world is watching, the US has vowed not to send in our forces. Uh, but the U.S. and many other NATO partners have put more and more sanctions on Russia. Do you think these sanctions, Congressman Birch, it will be enough of an impact that Putin and Russia would actually start to heed certain things? No, I really don't, Jim. Uh, they've been under those for years, ever since Putin's been in power, since his reign of terror began, I guess, several decades ago. He is. Um, <clears throat> they've been under him. And, and the worst thing about it was is when um, the president's uh, press secretary announced what they were going to do and then said it would take around 30 days to uh, implement some of these things. And you know as well, and we waited, we waited for a long time before we any, even put any personal sanctions on Putin himself. So the, um, uh, you know as well as I do, if, if you're a money guy, if somebody tells you that this thing's getting ready to, to collapse. You're going to move your money. You're going to move it into gold. You're going to move it into stocks. You're going to move it into cash. You're going to move banks or whatever. 
and we waited for the longest time before we hit the two big banks. We hit their fifth and eighth eighth largest banks. And, um, you know, I proposed legislation that we any money that we seize from the Russians, that's what we turn around and give to the Ukrainians for, for aid. I mean, because the Russians are the ones who caused this problem, and grant they, they should pay a penalty for it. But I don't think Congress has the guts to do that, unfortunately. And we're not going to send troops in there. If we send American troops in there officially, uh, that's an act of war. You know, it's two nuclear superpowers, and that's not going to end well. I, I think Putin is threatening nuclear strikes right now because it brings everybody to the table. And it shows it brings. I mean, it, you got to realize he's like a large-scale Tony Soprano. He is just a thug. Is all he is. He's a bully on the world stage, and he's just a ruthless, murdering thug. And you know, all this talk about war crimes. It was a war crime. Hell, when he crossed the border, that was a war crime. You know, we, we'll go into eight years of trials to declare. You know, to prove all this stuff. You don't have to. He's a criminal. He 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 attacked a sovereign nation. So, do, anyway, do you think? <laughs> uh, I mean, Tim, how long do you think a conflict could last, and 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 will he stop at Ukraine? I mean, that's the, you know, I know there's no way to know, and that's the big question because you know, the other countries that have been speculated are NATO countries. Absolutely, and if they cross that that Article Five in NATO, it means we, we we band together, and um, I, I don't, I think his ultimate goal, of course, is the is the recreation of the Russian empire, which is what, you know, what he sees. And he's always said Ukraine was part of, part of Russia. He thought it was kind of a rebel state for breaking off from Russia. He told George W. Bush that, um, I guess over a decade ago. So I, I, you know, this doesn't come as any surprise, but the reality is the reason he's there is basically America is funding that I'm looking at gas prices at 359 for unleaded and 409 for diesel. America, we, we import about 400 and between 400 and 500,000 barrels a day of Russian oil. That's about 3% of our oil. That's um, at a, yesterday, its spot price was about $111.17. You can do the math. We are paying for this war. If America, as soon as this war started the day Biden took office, when he stopped our oil production, you understand supply and demand probably better than any of us. But when you when he stopped our oil production and we became an importer of energy instead of an exporter, we're not exporting to our European friends. Those people now have to turn to Russia, Germany, other countries. Uh, the majority of their, their oil is imported from Russia. And when we started, when we stopped selling it to them, they, they had to go somewhere else. And Unfortunately, too, for the environment, all these environmentalists are honest. But the truth is that the environmentally, their their um, oil and and gas products are much more harmful to the environment than ours. So, so that's, clearly, that's kind of you would be. <laughs> so clearly, you would be. You think it was a big mistake to move away from energy independence? Absolutely, one hundred percent. And everybody you, knows. And do you think this wouldn't have happened if we had not uh, done I, that? Do you think this would have happened? It would not have happened. There is no way. And, and you know, and what we're going to look at, too, is long term. What is happening long term? The Chinese, who are in bed with the Russians, obviously, and who um, the, the Chinese are watching this. They're watching our supply chain. They're watching how NATO reacts, who gets the arms, which, which um, 
you know, third party that we run stinger missiles through, whatever, what have you. And they're and they're watching this, and they're already planning the invasion of Taiwan. Don't kid yourself. Taiwan is on their agenda, and um, and with this weak president we have, we are in some big trouble. We are uh, world uh, worldwide. Tim, on the uh, on the invasion of Ukraine, at, at what point do you think, or do you think it would turn to be? hey, it's Russian-occupied, and then the Ukrainians are more of an insurgency kind of a thing, and this could drag on for a long time. Do you think that's in the realm of possibility? You're absolutely correct. The intelligence folks have told us this thing could go on six, eight, ten years with the, um, <clears throat> with the you know, more rebel forces kind of, because that's that's sort of in their background. You know, Second World War with the with the Germans invading and, and – um, Teaming up with the with the Russians, fighting them back—that that is very much in the cards. I think you're going to see that be a long-term thing, and and that's part of the problem too with Putin. He did not bank on this. He thought that their generals would turn and and would support Mother Russia, and they did not. And so he's got a huge problem on his hands. But but in, but we're as long as we're financing this war, he can still keep fighting it. If we if so, we were to turn the spigots back on, he we he could declare victory and go home. Some people have speculated that he's getting feeling kind of backed in a corner, and there's no telling what he might can do. Do you think he's a real, truly a wild card, or do you think he is more calculated and and not different than he? You know, there's been a lot of speculation. Is he the same guy he was even five years ago? Right, I think he's calculated. I think a lot of that's just. Um, CIA misinformation that they're put out on in the media to say, oh, he's crazy and people are turning on him. And he's a dictator. He's always, you know, um, uh, Yasser Arafat said he never slept in the same bed twice. You know, he never went home the same way. He never took the same. And, you know, that's just the world they live in. And and that's all. He's 70 years old. And I don't I don't think he's crazy. I just think he's he's a he's a chess player and he's an egomaniac. And I think his ego over. Um, overshot his ability because the Russian troops are clearly not the troops that we saw that invaded Afghanistan and and they got whipped over there and this this bunch is a rag seems more ragtag but there again he gets pushed in that corner you never know and he does have his finger on the trigger so we have to we have to pay attention to that we're visiting this morning with uh, U.S. Representative. Tim Burchett, a good friend of the, of the show and someone I've known for years. Our fathers worked together at the University of Tennessee. Uh, when we come back, I want to get into the State of the Union. Uh, you know, we just had the State of the Union address and talk a little bit about what's going on there. Also, I do want to get into your drug uh, legislation, Tim. And then I do want, I know we'll get to inflation. we got a lot to cover in the next segment. So stay with us. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan, and we're visiting with U.S. Congressman Tim Burchett. And uh, we're talking about all the things going on in the world. Uh... Tim, for the better part of two years, there hasn't been a room full of legislators together at once with the effect of the pandemic. And the image of everyone in one room 
during the State of the Union this past week, even with some distancing, provided many Americans with hope that we're getting closer to normalcy. Do you think we're, we're close to transitioning into more of an endemic phase where we still just go, you know, we go, go about our lives? I think so, Jim. I think we're fed up with it. And, um, and it's, it was kind of a bogus deal in Washington. It was more political theater than science. Uh, well, that went down because they had us separating our seats. You know, you go into the gym and they have the shower stalls separated. You couldn't go into certain shower stalls to take a shower, but you could work out without a mask. I mean, you know, it's just in on the House side, you're, you had to wear a mask. The senators didn't have to wear a mask. It just Washington, D.C. is political theater from top to bottom. And that had very little. I think that had more to do with um, elections than it had to do with with science. During the State of the Union, uh, Congressman Burchett, President Biden mentioned that there has been bipartisan legislation passed this this past year. Do you think things can get accomplished if there is a focus on specific issues that both sides can get behind? Or do you think we're just kind of in a state of limbo for the most part until the midterms? I think we're in a state of limbo. That's really a bogus thing he was talking about. I think he was talking about the Build Back Better Act and you know, it, it it attacked our domestic energy production. It forced us to rely on more foreign oil. And the trial lawyers could write off frivolous lawsuits, and there were up to fines, up to $700,000 on that thing. And you had people that just needed something. Ten or 11 Republicans crossed over, and they're in very um, sketchy districts, and they know they had to vote for it. They know they had to vote for it, so they did. Um, and, you know, it, it benefited a lot of those wealthy liberal states, New York and California, by repealing the SALT deduction cap So um, because they didn't manage their money like Tennessee does, so they run to the federal government and um, to bail them out. So I, that's, again, more political theater. There wasn't a lot of bipartisan. We had a bill. The odd thing was, I remember the, the, uh, the transportation bill, which everybody uh, talks about being bipartisan. Uh, we worked, I think, the, the committee meeting was over 14 hours straight. It went to three or four in the morning, and um, uh, and it, as few Republicans voted for it. But then it went into – they took the whole bill after all the amendments and everything that we fought over and everything tooth and nail. It went to Pelosi's office, and, the, and her and the lobbyists just rewrote the entire bill. And due to House rules, she's allowed to do that, and we're not allowed to amend it on the floor. So – you know, it just, it, it, again, the rules, Washington is broken. And hopefully, if Republicans don't do it, we're, we uh, don't straighten it out this go around, we could literally lose our country as we know it. And I'm not being over dramatic just because of the, uh, the mood of the public and with things going on right now, I just see um, a real change in the air and we better, we better address it. Tim, along the lines of the, the, you know, the system in Washington, you've introduced a bill focusing on congressional term limits that would only apply to new congressmen. Tell us a little bit about your bill. Well, it, there's all these groups out there, and thank you for asking about that, Jim. There's all these groups out there that are pushing term limits, and they're like the Finding Bigfoot show. If they find Bigfoot, it's over. These term limits groups, I mean, they're selling memberships, and they come to organizations and say, oh, send us money. We're fighting for term limits. They're not fighting for anything. They're fighting for your checkbook. And the reality is nobody – I'm probably the only guy in Washington that would vote to term limit myself right now 
and these groups, nobody's going to vote to term limit themselves. So I just said, look, it would take a generation, but term limit the people that come into office, whether it be 8, 12, 16 years, whatever, and then, um, and then the people that are currently in office, they're grandfathered. Granted, you'll have some people that are staying there 20, 25 years, but that's what we've got now. And so we've, um, that, that's the only hope. You vote, nobody's going to vote to term limit themselves. And I would hope that at some point we would, America would, would realize that if we truly wanted to term limit, this is the way to go about it. Tim, would that, that, that certainly makes a lot of sense. Is there a concern that the people that are already there would just become more and more powerful, though, while, until they cycle out? Sure, but they're already that powerful, Jim. There's are they're already there. People there are there thirty years, and, um, and was, well, the oldest member there has been there since the Ford administration. So you know he's, you know he, he's he's still there, and we're not going to get rid of him. But there's four hundred and thirty-five of us, and if you think that you're going to get half of those people to vote to to limit their paycheck, you're not going to see it. I just don't think you'll see it, and this is the only avenue to get there. Congressman Burchett, Biden's unity agenda has four parts, beating the opioid epidemic, taking on mental health, supporting veterans, and ending cancer as we know it. And, of course, one of those parts is a big thing on your plate with international fentanyl trackers, traffickers. Excuse yeah. me. Tell us a little bit about your yeah. bill. Thank you again for talking to me about that. Um, fentanyl is a, is a devastating drug. They're trafficking it in, it's primarily being produced in China, communist China, our enemy, and, um, and it trafficked in, mulled in, whatever, by, over the border at Mexico, which is very little, there's very little resistance there. You know, the amount of fentanyl that fits on a match head could kill a thousand people. I talked to, uh, and, and the bill literally just says that it mandates a life sentence for somebody who traffics it in and um, who smuggles that garbage into the U.S. I, I was talking, I pr proposed the legislation, and it got a little national splash like they do. And I got a call from a fellow out of North Carolina, and his son had died from fentanyl. And he had, what he'd done is he bought a, a, uh, a prescription drug off, off Adderall or one of these, I can't remember which one it was, off the street. And what they'd done, it, they'd, they'd made it, they'd bootlegged it, and they'd laced it with fentanyl. And literally, the, cap, the pill was still in his mouth when they found him dead. That's how oh strong this stuff is. And it is, it is out there, and it is dangerous. I mean, just think of our poor police officers that go in on a raid or something, and, and this stuff is there, and it's on the, you know, they can pick it up, and it can get it's strong enough that it can enter your pores and kill you that way even by, by handling it. So we've got to, we need to address this thing, and we need to be serious about it. And and uh, you can't get anybody to do anything. You know, unfortunately, my friends across the aisle, they won't do anything about it because they'd have to admit there's a problem, and the problem is coming in over the border. And we've got to stop it. And we and you, you give somebody a life sentence, and the word's going to get out. Hey, let's let's move to something else. Let's sell weed or something else. Let's not sell fentanyl because that. We could we could lock it down with that, and I and we have the power to do that if we get the guts to do it. Yeah, and to be clear, you're wanting to to, to impose a life sentence for international uh, drug dealers, yeah. right? That import fentanyl yeah. into the United States. Absolutely, 100%. Hey Tim, I know you've got to go here in just a few minutes. Before we do, though, I do want to. I've got to get to inflation. Uh, yeah. You know, the Federal Reserve has waited so long. They've been so dovish 
to start unwinding some of the all the economic stimulus in the pandemic and now they're between a rock and a hard place because we've got run we've got really problematic inflation but now there's a war in Europe and they may have to tamp down some of their hawkish strategies of increasing interest rates not quite so fast uh, what is your opinion of the current policies being used to curb inflation and where do you think that do you think do you think the war is going to curb their ability or their desire or their appetite to raise rates I would hope it would Jim just because um, there you see certain sectors of course of the market that are just going crazy like real estate and others and I would hope they wouldn't do anything to tamp that down and um, and I would think by raising interest rates that would that would put a block on that of course you got to figure too a lot of these people are saying man let's 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 raise interest rates let's stop this real estate thing so so it makes stuff more affordable I, you know I, I I profit's not a dirty word to me I, I love capitalism I love seeing somebody buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars and do a little work on it and sell it for two hundred and fifty thousand or whatever. I, I think that's great. And I and I know it's tough on first time home buyers, but um but I'm with you on that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh Tim, my last question is I know uh you know we've talked a lot about all these federal issues in Washington. Let's talk about East Tennessee briefly. We're it's a great place and we got businesses more and more moving here. We got Smith and Wesson. We got CGI, Global Tech Company. Talk to me about, in your view, what makes East Tennessee so attractive. It's just like I said when I was mayor, Jim. You know, they, they always, Chamber of Commerce types, they bring people in and they show them, you know, Market Square Mall and all this. What they need to do, you can't take them to Wright's Cafeteria anymore, unfortunately, because it's closed. But take them to a cafeteria. Let them meet the people that will actually be working with them in those factories and at, the, at their businesses. The guy and gal with the names on their shirt. That is our best asset. Our people are our best asset. They show up to work. You know, um, I remember Lifetime Plastics when they came in, and they're they're a straight laced bunch of guys out of out of out of Utah. Um, mostly they're mostly fine Mormon folks, and um, you know they get out there working with these burly East Tennesseans with tattoos, and they love them because they show up for work. They look them in the eye, they shake their hand, and they do what they say they're going to do, and that's what East Tennessee is about. That's why Smith and Wesson came here. And that they're moving their museum. I couldn't be happier because the the northern elitists they they look down their nose at our Second Amendment. And it, frankly, in Tennessee, we love freedom, and that's a that's a big thing. And and I couldn't say enough about the people in East Tennessee because that's where it's at. Well, what I love about what you said there, it's not said a lot because we talk about what a great geographic area it is, and that we, you know, we've got it going. You know, we got a pretty good thing going on with our balanced budgets and all that. But you talked about the people of East Tennessee, and I think you're right. We've just got great people. Uh, the names on the shirts, I think that's so well said. Congressman Burchett, thanks so much for being with us. I know you're really, really busy right now with everything going on in Washington, but thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. It's always great to have you with us. Jim, it's always a pleasure hearing your show, and I listen to it all the time. I get my financial advice from you, so if I, if I go under, I'm blaming you. <laughs> That's okay. Well, thank you. That's Congressman Tim Burchett. It's always good to visit with him. A uh, lot of great, a lot of, lot of interesting things going on in Washington and around the world. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the global f conflict and its impact on the global economy. And we're going to talk about the one risk that you inherit when you retire that you don't 
you're not exposed to when you're younger in your working years. So don't go away. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and it was very interesting uh, visiting there with Congressman Tim Burchett about everything that's going on. Certainly, it's a lot, and we have global conflict. We've had COVID. We see that what happens halfway around the world can, in fact, affect us in a significant way. And I think Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine could have major economic consequences around the world, including here in America. So after a tumultuous two years during the pandemic, the global economy all of a sudden may face new threats. As a result of the conflict, we've got spicing, spiking energy prices, we've got persistent inflation, we've got supply chain disruptions and market volatility. And while we can hope for the best, it's better to be prepared for the different things that could happen. So how is this likely to affect your money? And what can you be doing about it? So, you know, when we think about everything that's been going on, I mean, we, we, you know, it started in China. It had a huge effect on our lives here in America with the pandemic. And now we know about the loss of life and the violence we see on the news, which is the most important. But it's also important to understand a little bit about, about the economics of this and what it could mean for you. The benchmark S&P 500 is down We've actually been in correction territory a couple of times in the new year, meaning the S&P 500 being down over 10%. And it's been kind of spiking right around that level. We could see higher inflation. You know, inflation was 7% for the last year in 2021, and it was 7.5% in January. And the Federal Reserve has been looking at trying to get their arms around this by starting some interest rate hikes. And many were expecting as much as maybe 2% this year on the overnight federal funds rate, which is what the Fed controls. Now, that's actually very important to understand. When the Fed raises the interest rate, that's the overnight federal funds rate. So when we talk about something like the yield curve, what that means is you know, you've got this line that goes from what's the interest rate for an overnight federal funds rate, then what's the interest rate when you buy a one-year CD or a five-year CD, what's the interest rate on a 10-year treasury or a 30-year treasury? And when the Fed raises the rate over the, that over that federal funds rate, you know, that's that's way down here at the very bottom in the overnight you know, the, the short-term rate. So then how does that affect a 30-year mortgage? So that's called the yield curve. As, as you go further out in time, in, in an ideal world, you see, a dial, you, you see a diagonal line right there, meaning as you go out further in time on debt, like a mortgage, car loan would be, you know, maybe three, five years, but the further out you go, the, rate, the higher the interest rate gets. The, the, lar the, the higher the cost to borrow money. 
but it doesn't always work that way. And with the, with the economic challenges we have now, and with the war in Ukraine, you know, if the Fed raises rates, what's that really going to do to a five-year car loan or a 20- or 30-year mortgage? Now, that's yet to be determined. But many people think that the yield curve will merely begin to flatten some, meaning that, that you know, those short-term rates will go up, but the long-term rates really may not go very much. They may not go very far. And so, you know, the Fed's been looking at raising rates aggressively to try to choke off inflation, but I personally think aggressive rate hikes are off the table. No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there won't be rate hikes. But 2% this year, I think because of what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, I think that's likely to be maybe half that. I think the idea that the Fed would do a half-point increase in March, I don't think they're going to do that. I could be wrong, but I just don't see that happening. And so what that means is more is we don't know for sure, but more than likely that means more persistent inflation. Costs of things, you know, oil prices now over $100 a barrel. And that affects all of us. That affects the deliveries to our house. You know, if we shop with Amazon, when we go to the store, if we go to the store, that affects the cost of everything, the energy costs. And then, of course, food costs are up. Everything's up. And I, it looks like it's going to continue going up. So there are long-term effects of even moderate inflation. So, you know, what does this mean for you? So, and, and I mentioned before the break that when you retire, there is an additional risk you inherit that nobody else faces, that you, you don't face in your working years, and it's market timing risk. Specifically, when are the good years in the market and when are the bad years? We, we refer to that as sequence of return. You know, we know over 30-year periods, the stock market, at least historically, is, has always done pretty well, at least since 1900. Uh, but in shorter periods of time, that's not necessarily the case. We can have, I mean, from 2000 to 2010, we actually had a whole decade with no growth in the U.S. stock market. Now, that's unusual because we had two bear markets in that 10-year, in that decade. And that's not always, you know, but it does happen. So, you know, market timing is a new risk we take on when we retire because if we have some really bad years in those early years of retirement or we don't have robust growth in the stock market in the first five to ten years of retirement, it could really be devastating. And what we do know is that what happens in those first five to ten years has potentially a disproportional impact on your end result in retirement if you live for, say, 30 years. If you live 25 to 30 years of retirement, what this means is you'd think, well, what happens in any given year has a 130th or 125th impact in your overall result. But that's not the case. What happens in those first 5 to 10 years is disproportionately, it disproportionately impacts your retirement, success or failure. And that's what we call market timing risk or sequence of return risk. But when we look at everything going on, I mean, we've got a lot of challenges right now. And the number one thing that jumps out to me is that 
stock prices are still high. When we look at the valuations of U.S. and foreign stocks, they're still pretty dang high compared to history. Now, in a low interest rate environment, they should be high, but they're, very, they're, they're, they're pretty dang high. And that alone would kind of spell maybe some choppy waters. Now, the flip side of that is when we look at war, markets historically have been res very resilient over the long haul with wars. You know, you see the inevitable dips and the choppiness. But over time, the markets have, have typically been resilient. But how much time is that for markets to really produce? I mean, when we think about things like 9 10% per year returns, I think for the next decade, we've got to temper that expectation. So we've got rising inflation. We've got choppy markets. And we don't know what those markets are going to do over the next 10 years. But when we look at the challenges and we look at current stock market prices, I think it's likely to be pretty choppy. But market risk investments have historically been the best way to fight inflation long term. And inflation, I think because of this war, I think the Fed is going to be more, more reticent to raising rates as fast, and so inflation may persist a little bit longer. Now, I don't think we're looking at a 1970s-type inflation, but I think inflation is going to persist longer than expected. So then the question is, how can you earn enough over time to beat inflation? And that becomes critically important. So how do you create a financial plan that can all but mitigate the effects of market timing? When are the good markets? When are the bad markets in retirement? And then how can you have a plan long term to have your income grow enough to beat inflation? So we'll get into a couple of key elements of that financial planning for retirement when we come back. You're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. You can check out all our podcasts online if you've missed part of this show and also other shows. If you go to BroganFinancial.com, you can click on radio and you can listen to our shows. Uh, you can also listen to my retirement minutes, which I air every week on this station, and then also our dollars and cents segments that I do on weeks where we don't have any financial topics being covered. So my goal, we also have a resource page. with uh, We just put out a new... Um, content offering five keys to a successful retirement plan and you can download that complimentary again go to broganfinancial.com and click on resources um, so how to respond to market volatility which is what we're talking about here what if the next 10 years is choppy and you don't get robust returns on your investments in that first five to ten years of retirement how can you protect your retirement lifestyle from the impact of that? So when I talk about market timing, what I'm referring to, to be clear, is when are the good years in the market and when are the bad years? When do we have a good decade? When do we have a more choppy sideways decade? I'm not talking about getting in and out of the market. 
So something to consider, trying to time the actual market is very difficult to impossible and could be very dangerous to your wealth. Say you invested in the S&P 500 from 2000 to 2019. If you miss the 10 best days out of that 20-year period, instead of earning 6% per year annualized, you would have earned about 2.4% per year annualized. So you got to be very careful, and markets can turn on a dime. I mean, it, let's think back. A week and a half ago, Russia went into Ukraine on a Wednesday evening, and the market on Thursday morning opened up down almost a full 2%. The, the, the Dow was down over 700 points. By the end of the day, the, the Dow and the S&P 500 were in the green. And then on Friday, they both went up closer to 2 to 2.5%. Two and, and who would have thought that? So I think what's happened, you know, a lot of, a lot of investors and speculators are, are buying on dips. And eventually that may stop. So there is downside risk, so please don't misunderstand me. But trying to time that could be catastrophic if you miss out on the really good days. I mean, a 2 to 2.5% two swing when the Dow's up eight, 900 points, I mean, that's, you don't want to be out of the market for those kind of swings. So I think the key here is first you build a base of retirement income especially in those first five to seven years. Sources of income that don't go down in the event of market volatility uh, and downturns. Enough to produce your income needs and, and for your lifestyle needs, frankly, over the next five to seven years. So if you do that, then all of a sudden your risk investments are invested for long-term growth. So you kind of split them out. Think of two buckets of money. One bucket is we'll call safe or stable money, and the other bucket is we'll call risk money. When I say safe or stable, I'm not saying it does not have any risk. If the principal is guaranteed, that's the ideal kind of safe or stable money. You've got to look at who's backing the guarantee and what happens if they go under. So there is risk there. Um, you've also got inflationary risk. Can you earn enough to beat inflation? But what you don't have to worry about with safe investments is, is cashing them in when they're sharply down. And that's one of your biggest risks in the early years of retirement is that the markets dip substantially and you need income and you have to cash in investments when they're sharply down. And then you'll compound your losses and those monies will never ever come back because you've spent them as income. And that is so, I cannot even tell you how critically important this is to not be living on risk investments in those early years of retirement. Now, to clarify, it's okay to live on dividends from stocks. Uh, what you don't want to do is live on where you have to sell shares of an investment to generate income. Now, one of the challenges, though, with living on divid stock dividends is in order to get the income that you need, you may have to have most of your money in dividend-paying stocks, and that creates two problems. One is you don't have nearly enough diversification in different asset classes other than traditional stocks. Okay, now there's other ways to get yield with things like real estate trusts, you know, REITs and things like that, that, that are more diverse than just stocks. But what about things like energy and commodities and natural resources and non-traditional bonds? So, you know, if you have to put all your money in dividend stocks, you're not going to be real diversified to shelter you from 
major market swings. And then the second thing is you're shrinking your universe of stocks that you can buy and invest in. Uh, and I am a fan as a rule of dividend stocks, but I wouldn't want to rule out other stocks as a potential investment. So if you have stocks, I think the dividend yield can be part of your income plan, but I think being a central part of that income plan could be dangerous because you might have to have too much in individual stocks. Okay. So to be clear, what we don't want is we don't want to be selling shares of an at-risk investment when the markets are sharply down. So you build your financial plan with stability of income. And ideally that means you set it aside and it's in that safe bucket and you draw from it. Now then the second key is what kind of diversification do you have? You know, when you get closer to retirement, you can't afford that you cannot afford the type of risk in a downturns, most people can't, that you could afford when you were younger because you don't have as much time on your side. And the number one benefit, the, the number one hedge for risk in the markets is time. The longer time we have, the more we don't really have to worry too much about short-term risk. At least historically, that's been borne out. Never know for sure about the future, but historically, that's been the case. Well, when you get closer to needing to draw from your funds in retirement, your time horizon is not what it was when you were in your 30s and 40s and maybe even in your early 50s. So, you know, you can't take the same kind of risk of just being all in on the stock market. And so you need greater diversification. And what does that word mean? Diversification means you have a whole lot of stuff in your portfolio that if one thing zigs, another zags. So if you have all stock mutual funds, you're diversified within the stock market category, meaning there, there's not a single stock that could end up driving your entire portfolio. That's what that means. But, it, but if you're all in stocks, it does mean you're not diversified in terms of things other than the stock market, things that zig and zag. So things like energy, resources, commodities, you know, I've said these things. Real estate, real estate is an asset class that is not as correlated to the stock market as you might think. And then the, the final thing I would say about diversification is be very wary of traditional bonds, U.S. bonds, and bond, especially bond funds. We're on the front edge of what is likely to be a, a bear market in bonds, and it may be an historic bear market. So when you look at past past strategies for reducing risk in a portfolio that have used a lot of bonds, that's probably not going to work very well in the future. So you've got to have another way to hedge risk. So structuring your income plan to not depend on the stock market in the short term and then diversifying your risk investments to have a better balance of risk and reward in what is likely to be a very choppy market for the next five to ten years. So today we've discussed the economic impacts and legislative impacts in Washington with Congressman Tim Burchett. We've also discussed your wealth because greater wealth provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Thank you for tuning in this week. Thank you to Chris for engineering the show. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. Uh, do check out our upcoming class schedule 
at, at um, broganfinancial.com. Click on classes. I've got a tax planning class in April. It's a one-night class. I'll be back at the University of Tennessee for a two-part class at the end of April. So check us out there, broganfinancial.com. Thanks for tuning in. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Have a very blessed weekend. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.